BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode, it's just us. So I'm really just, I was sitting thinking about the beautiful concept in development called theory of mind. And as I do, sometimes I just actually ponder my field of developmental psychology and the wonder of the things that I've learned. And I I was thinking about how fascinating it is that we don't all know that there really is this theory of mind that allows us to get to a place where we understand the mental states of others are different from ours. And that just means other people think and feel and have a different perspective than we do, which seems quite obvious, but actually is not something we develop right away. It takes until kids are close to four years old, sometimes a little bit older. And until then, they really do not know that other people might see things in a different way. And that information can help you respond to your kids more developmentally appropriately. And also, this is just a skill that we want to build so that people have a better capacity to understand the inner workings of others. And of course, it's just theory of mind because we don't know what other people are actually thinking or feeling unless they tell us. We can't mind read but we can understand that it's possible. And that developmental milestone is huge and it happens in different ways and more sophisticated ways over time. And there are certainly things that we can do to help bolster the growth of that capacity. And in the world that we live in, we certainly can do with more kids that have the capacity for perspective taking and theory of mind. But we don't wanna rush it because of course we can't, and then we might get frustrated with our kids if we're not aware that they don't have capacity yet. First, I want to do a quick meditation so that we can take advantage of this time together. We're alone and it's nice to ground ourselves. And I like to throw that in because once you have a little bit of grounding in your own nervous system, you are better prepared to respond to the nervous system of others. So let's take this moment and find a posture in which you are feeling relaxed and alert. You can sit on a chair, you can sit on the floor, you can sit anywhere you want, 
can lie down or stand up. You can pretty much do anything, but if you're driving, you know, keep your eyes open for sure. Whatever your body is comfortable and at ease doing on this earth, feeling the ground, feeling that you are here will help you get centered. And if we go through these meditations and you find that you're uncomfortable, just notice that and shift a little bit so that you can get more comfortable, change your posture, but be aware of it. That's actually really in and of itself an awesome mindfulness exercise is being aware of how your body feels in the way that you're sitting or moving and adjusting it with intention. So keeping your physical presence right now, allow yourself to look around where you are, opening awareness to your body, to your senses, see the colors in the room, Notice the window, notice the curtains, just notice maybe five things that you're looking at. And then as you look around, take a breath and let yourself just take the environment in. When you're ready, bring your attention back to yourself and you can close your eyes and relax even more fully. You're safe. Let your eyes and face feel soft. Loosen your jaw. (sighs) Let the shoulders relax. Let your arms and hands rest easily in some position, notice if you're straining or holding any part of you, just let it go. So you're arriving with a sense of dignity and alertness and presence. You are right here. You are certain of it. You saw where you are. You relaxed into it. And just now notice the sounds that are around. What sounds are coming and going? Is it the air condition? Is there traffic outside? Are there screaming children? Nothing to do about it. Everybody's safe. Just notice it. And now you can notice if there's any sense of smell. Maybe some cooking nearby. Or even thinking the word smell might evoke your favorite smell. Or maybe it evokes not your favorite smell. That's okay too. Just notice your body sensations and areas of ease 
or tightness, vibrations or stillness. Just notice the feel of this body received with kind attention. No judging, just noticing. And now notice the state of your heart. Is there interest? Is there gratitude? Judgment? Sadness? Excitement? Curiosity? Whatever it is. Does your heart feel open or closed? Again, without any judgment, you're just noticing. Then notice the state of mind that's present now. What's happening for you? Planning, what you have to do today. Am I going to get to the point? Is there excitement? Are you feeling relaxed? Obsessing? Just notice. So of course, you are here, you saw, you heard, you smelled, you checked in with your heart and your mind. So now feel your body with presence and dignity and realize that you can notice the play of experiences you have with an open, kind attention, and that you are fully present and you can take on this day. Now just open up your eyes if they were closed. And let's start thinking about theory of mind because that is our topic for the day. And it's going to get you so curious about the, the growth and development of your kids and yourselves. Like it's just so fascinating. I mean, perhaps quite a bias of mine because this is my field of study. But I think it will excite you and delight you to understand the inner workings of your developing kids. And in doing so, some of those moments that feel more fraught and tense can become moments of fascination. Okay, so what is theory of mind? So theory of mind is not something that we understand and then we're one and done. It really is something that is part of all of our lives. And the ability to attribute mental states 
to ourselves and others is one of the most important foundations for interacting with people. It really does kind of drive our interactions. So just thinking about adult theory of mind, if you're talking with your friend or your partner and you make assumptions about how they perceive you or how they perceive a situation that is different from you, your more sophisticated self will acknowledge, okay, I don't know what's on your mind exactly, but what I do know is that you might think something because of how it comes across. And that may not be accurate. And I can't read your mind. But I think if I were in your shoes, I might think this. And then you check in with them. Having a theory of mind is so important because it really helps us predict and interpret other people's behavior. And it helps us decide how we should behave or how we can communicate. So it's kind of a big deal. And because in infancy and early childhood, these are skills that are still developing, it's really at that time, the experience of watching, learning, reading, talking, listening, all of those things that are happening in those first few years of life are informing kids about how to understand the world, but they're not there yet. And so there are really interesting ways that we can test theory of mind. And that's kind of how researchers have figured out the development timeline. And of course, kids are all unique and there's certainly a range of how this happens. We know plenty of adults that struggle with this, but there are things that seem to be more typical with theory of mind. And I guess as a caveat, I should say, this is for typically developing kids. For kids who are not typically developing, theory of mind is a completely different thing. And that's not what we're covering today, but you might recognize one child has an atypical growth trajectory. If they have an atypical brain, they may not be able to grasp theory of mind. They might not have a sense that other people's mental states are different from their own. And that may be their biggest challenge. But today we're focusing on typically developing theory of mind, just so you can have an understanding of it, because we need to understand these things for typically developing brains to even know if we are looking at an atypical brain. So this is all incredibly important and interesting. So Thinking about how many assumptions we make about what others want, what other people think, what other people believe, what they like. And these are things that aren't directly observable. These are things that you have to make some guesses about. That's why it's theory of mind. And we can use those to sort of anticipate what others are going through. And this is the way we can understand that other people have unique beliefs. This is going to be so hugely informative for our kids because if they have a preference, that doesn't mean that someone else has a preference. Even in food, you know, as simple as 
picking ice cream flavors. So first, what happened as this field was growing is that we learned that we don't immediately know that other people have these unique feelings and desires that are completely different from our own. There are developmental skills that we need to develop in order to get theory of mind later on. And these skills include the concept of attention. So the earliest thing that you can look at is joint attention. And that is our first clue of the understanding of others. So when your doctor asks you if your infant is pointing at 10 months or 12 months, the reason they're asking, and some of them don't even know that they're asking for this reason, but the reason they're asking is because that pointing is a precursor to understanding the perspective of another. You're pointing to communicate, let's say with your parent, hey, I want to know what's that. And your parent looks in the same direction at what you're pointing at, and you both are jointly attending to something and able to learn about it. And that's a huge milestone. It's a big, big deal because now I know how to communicate what I need and what I'm seeing, and you can communicate what you are seeing and get it back to me. So we have this attention and understanding. There's also an early precursor of imitation of others. You'll notice that your 15-month-old or 18-month-old might start imitating even when you're cleaning. They might start pretend play. Certainly by two, you've got kids that are pretending to talk on the phone or do any household chore. They are pretend being you and thing and others in their life that they've seen, they're imitating, but they aren't doing it themselves. So that's a huge developmental milestone. And again, a great thing to do to build these skills is to create opportunities for that. That's why when you're reading a book, you're going to point to the words, you're going to point to the pictures, and you're going to look at your child and look at the objects. You can pretend play with them. That's just bringing out dolls or maybe making a pretend picnic, pretend eating something, yum, yum, yum. Those are all things that you're probably doing without knowing that you are building these pre-skills. So when you're bolstering attention skills of that focus, oh, I'm seeing an example is like a baby is looking around on the carpet and you know, we've all seen this. They kind of crawl over to a little tiny piece of fuzz on that carpet. It's so specific, but that is when this development of specific attention is occurring. So you could look at anything, but you find something to focus your attention on. And then that joint attention happens if you're pointing to it and someone else also notices and you're directing their attention to that same source. Such a big deal, feels so natural, is just happening in your day-to-day interactions. Those gestures, when infants understand those gestures, major processing is happening that another person's mental state 
can recognize the same thing that they're recognizing. And that is just such a wild early part of all of this development of theory of mind. And then once that's happened and there are, and this is definitely not a graduate course. I'm not going to go into the different theorists and the different ideas of kind of, is this linear or when this doesn't happen in a linear way? So I'm going to give you just the basics, but the next core component The next core component is think about your toddler and they understand intention. They start to understand that people are motivated by desires. So they're focused on them. They're self-focused, but what they're understanding is, you know, I'm hungry, so I'm going to reach for food or point to food or access food. And then we might point to food and rub our tummies and say, I'm hungry. And our kids understand, oh, okay, that is a way of telling me that hunger is happening. And that's really part of why imitation is so important because we are learning by imitating when we're little and recognizing in imitation that there's attention, intention, and imitation. And all this coming together helps kids internalize these concepts that ultimately unfold to theory of mind. Okay, but then what's really fascinating is that there are very famous studies where experimenters figured out when that shift happens. It's one of those studies that really helps understand this shift. And you can kind of think about doing this in different ways with your own kids, not to make them experiments, but just because it's kind of fun. But if our false belief studies, so what's interesting is there are some really amazing studies that help illustrate the development of theory of mind. And I think they'll help you understand theory of mind. So I'm going to just describe this study pretty simply. But imagine there's an experimenter sitting with a child and their mom walks away for a moment. And the child is shown a box of Crayola crayons, very recognizable. The experimenter says, what do you think's inside this box? And the child will say crayons because they're three, they've kind of played with crayons, they recognize it. You open the box and you can say, that's right, there are crayons inside that box. And then you show them another box of Crayola crayons and you say, let me show you what's inside this box. And it's paper clips. Okay, so now when mom's coming back, what do you think she's going to think is inside this box? And the three-year-old is going to say, paper clips, because a three-year-old does not have theory of mind. The three-year-old can't fathom that the knowledge that she has is different from the knowledge that her mother has. And so she really thinks, well, I know there are paper clips in there, so my mom will know. And what's so cool is that when the experimenters do the same thing 
with kids who are between the ages of four and five when they start to really understand other people's thoughts and feelings. And they say, what do you think your mother will think is inside this Crayola box? The four or five-year-old is going to say, crayons, because they understand that even though there are paperclips in that Crayola box, how is that information their mother could know? They couldn't. So they grasp theory of mind. And then when you talk to six-year-olds, they might even say, well, my mom is going to think that there are crayons in the Crayola box because that's what she expects. She doesn't know that there are paper clips in there because she didn't see that you put paper clips in there. And that is when theory of mind is so developed and so interesting. So theorists figured out kind of a task list of what we start to understand of theory of mind. So first we need to understand that other people have different wants. Like they might have a different preferred flavor of ice cream, right? And then the understanding that there's thinking that may be a different belief about the same thing. So people's actions are based on what they think is going to happen. And then the next stage is understanding that seeing will lead to knowing. And that's recognizing that other people have different knowledge access. And if someone hasn't seen something, then they need to get more information to understand it. So that's a huge milestone in our awareness And then false beliefs. That's being aware of the fact that others may have a false belief that is different from reality. So in the example of the Crayola boxes, it's understanding, oh, mom's going to have a false belief that there are crayons inside this box. But I know, because I have more information, that there are actually paper clips inside of here. And then the most sophisticated is understanding those hidden feelings. That's the final stage of the awareness that other people might feel an emotion, but show something different. And that is hugely sophisticated. And if we could really tap into that, we would probably solve many world's problems and misunderstandings. And of course, the developmental stages of theory of mind like all of child development research, is often a little bit culturally specific, though it it has been studied across many demographic groups. So different cultures might place different emphasis on parts of theory of mind, and it might present development in a different order. But it's in general, so so keep that in mind because what your particular culture or community emphasizes is going to be learned faster. And so culture of course and context always plays a role in development. And so those milestones may be cemented in a different order and that is way too sophisticated for a podcast episode, but I just want to say that and The broad strokes is that all cultures develop theory of mind, 
But then the specifics of the order of operations is going to vary, of course, between different cultures. It's going to vary, of course, between different cultures and contexts. So the early studies of the false belief task were done by a researcher named Simon Baron Cohen. And in those studies, the findings suggested that 85% of typically developing children and 86% of children with Down syndrome answered the false belief question correctly. And that was that was a different task. The task that I shared with you was done by Alison Gopnik, but the Baron Cohen false belief task involves hiding an item in a basket, but same idea. There are other studies that indicate that even younger children may have some understanding of theory of mind, but for the most part, you don't really grasp it until, again, four, five, six years old. And understanding that helps you in your engaging with your, when you, as you're engaging with your children, not just to grow these skills, but also to have more compassion and understanding and explanation for them as they don't feel like somebody wanted to play with them on the playground or as they get confused because they wanted to play kitchen and their friend wanted to play dolls. So this is a skill that's important, but it's also so cool to be able to use our understanding of the, we, the fact that our kids don't get that and we need to help them understand so that they can have an easier time in those interactions and so that more importantly, we can have an easier time as they kind of rough through those interactions as part of their growth and development. Now, the false belief task was originally done in the 80s, and then now it's administered while looking at brain scans so that we can see exactly what part of the brain is at work. And it's kind of incredible. But what is important is the understanding, not the details. So once we get that another person's mental state not only exists, but exists in this rich and beautiful way that is different from our own. Our whole way of communicating can be so much more sophisticated, so much more compassionate. And I'll just say, ultimately, what we know of theory of mind is there to not only just be fascinated by this incredible developmental way of understanding our kids. So as you're reading your before bedtime books or thinking about someone else who sat on the playground or helping your child understand food preferences or why they might not be invited to a birthday party or why somebody might want to play a different game from them. Think about theory of mind and how incredibly beautiful it is to watch development unfold and to help it along by working on these concepts, whether it's through pretend play, through joint attention, through talking and communicating about other people's mental states. And as an adult, being keenly aware of how much theory of mind comes into play in our own day-to-day -day interactions and catching ourselves when we forget 
that we can't actually mind read, but we can give it a whirl and make sure that we have the perspective that other people may actually think, feel, desire in a different way than we do. That really can help us in our relationships, in our interactions, and for our children to be able to learn from us because we have sophisticated capacity for theory of mind. If you want to learn more about theory of mind, go ahead and send me a DM in at Raising Good Humans podcast on my Instagram with any questions related to theory of mind, and I can dig deeper with you. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review with the specific episodes you enjoy so that I know what kind of episodes you want to hear.